Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, it's Russ from My Hammers 11. I hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and hitting the bell notification so you're notified of any time we put new content on. We have um, videos going up daily. Sometimes you lucky buggers, you get two a day as well. Um, and we've got loads of good guests coming up, including today's guest. Um, broadcaster, there's a long list. Broadcaster, journalist, author, podcaster. It's Sam Delaney. Hi Sam, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here chatting to you. Yeah, no, I should have put finally Anne Hammer, obviously. Anne Hammer, Anne Hammer of course. More yeah. importantly. Above, above everything else. Exactly. Yeah. So, how are you? How are you coping? How's that? That's the first thing everyone says nowadays. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm coping very well. I'm wearing shorts every day and t shirt and I shave sporadically yeah. and I'm in my, in my Adidas slides every day. I mean, the slob kind of lockdown lifestyle is all is all for me. I mean, yeah, me I, if I if I get, I suppose at the beginning you had a bit of anxiety about the situation. Now the anxiety I feel is about lockdown being lifted. Me too. And yeah, me too. To get back to a, a normal, civilized, structured lifestyle. I find that really terrifying because it's yeah. been a long time and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It's awful. To say. I know it's been hell for people, and I'm lucky that myself and most of my family have all kept in good health. Mm. Right. So I, I understand that I'm lucky, but you know, I've, I've enjoyed myself. Yeah, no, me too. I'm not caught you know, up on I, a load of admin. Exactly. What I like <laughs> is I like not having a pressure when it comes to weekends. Yes, so it's like, yeah. you know, with my wife and my daughter, oh, you know, before, oh, what should we do this weekend? Let's go to Lakeside. Let's do this. Let's go to London. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. No, you can do fuck all. We, sorry, we can just, yeah, we just yeah I think I'm going to sit around on my ass. I can sit around and I put, might put the pool out do strange things like I'll like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the whole uh, official FIFA film of the 1998 world cup. <laughs> I'll do something like I've been watching loads of stuff like that. Just ticking stuff off the list. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I watched a view to a kill on Saturday in the middle of the day with my son. You've well, never you seen go. it before, you know, yeah. and it was just like, this is not the sort of thing that you usually find the time to do watching no. a view to a kill, but no, I'm glad exactly. I did it. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's nice to like, you know, sort of educate the younger generation on some of the stuff Very that much. you, it's having time. And it's like, you know, my daughter, I'm, I've got her into the Back to the Future movies. It's like, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. she's like eight. And so it's like, you know, this was like, when I was your age, this was like epic. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, okay. But yeah, really, so, it makes you really angry if they don't love it as much yeah, as you do, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I become furious. Like, like my, my kids aren't that into Back to the Future or Indiana Jones. And I'm like, who are you? Like, are you sure you're? What is the matter with you? Were you born without a soul? <laughs> well, that's the thing, and actually, in a weird way, in a weird sort of segue way, so to speak, um, this sort of whole project I've been running is sort of my 
because I'm learning a lot more of the history that I wasn't involved in. So obviously with West yeah. Ham, obviously I, I know from two, like, you know, I start mid nine, early nineties is when I first mm. went. And you know, that's, that, that's my reference point, but talking to people and, and players and, and, and older fans we have on the channel as well, you're learning a lot more about players that you never really knew much about. You obviously know the, you know, the, mm. you know, the, what's the word, you know, the sort of the legends and the stories, mm. but, that sort of one-to-one interaction and little sort of, oh yeah, well I met him and he was at my school and he did this and he yeah, had a, yeah, a soccer yeah. school and I went and took a, you know, that's lovely. It's really, really nice. And that's what we're doing with this channel. So he's interviewing loads of different people, all different ages, all West Ham fans. It's the only thing that connects everyone. Yeah. Whether they're well-known or, or, you know, or someone that emailed me the other day, I'm a nobody. Can I come on the channel? You're not a nobody. No, yeah. no one probably knows you're West you. Ham. You're West Ham. That's all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens. My kids said something really interesting to me the other day. Well, it was, I mean, it was interesting to me. It probably will be to you. But I was driving along with them and my daughter's 12. She's been coming to West Ham since she was about four or something. Yeah. And my son, who is mega, mega into West Ham. In fact, I don't think he's taken off his West Ham dressing gown for the whole of lockdown. My, my missus has to, my missus has to, he goes to sleep in it too. And she has to sneak it off him while he's asleep to get it washed and dried because he's, he's so addicted to it. Anyway, they said they were talking about other clubs. I think they were talking about my, my elder brother is a Spurs fan, unfortunately. And, it, and they were talking, they said the other day, yeah, but I mean, Spurs, it's not the same, is it, as being a West Ham fan? I mean, being a West Ham fan, it's like, it's a whole, you're part of a big family. And I said, do you think so? And they said, well, if you see another West Ham fan in the street, you're yeah. so excited. And you always say, because I've always done this since I was a kid, and it used to embarrass them. Okay. And you always say, come on, you irons, when you yeah. walk past them. And they always smile and look really happy and say it back. And I said, yeah, exactly. It's a thrill. It's a great win. And she went, I don't think fans of other clubs do that. No. And I said, no, they don't. I mean, they might do. I they don't might know, do, but we don't care. <laughs> I still it's think true. it's a, yeah. It's so true. And um, I've, I've got this newfound respect for the foreign-based fans as well, because obviously a lot of my friends I know who are foreign-based hammers, so to speak, they were mm. born in Essex and London. They moved out. Mm. Where I'm talking to guys like the Scandinavian hammers, and, you know, there's no real reference point why they should support West Ham, like, geographically. But, like, Yemen Holt is, like, an absolute fanatic. And, yeah. yes, and I moan getting a rail replacement bus from Gideon Park. You know, whatever, or having to drive to Newby Park to get to Stratford, he gets on a fucking flight to Oslo, and you know, and yeah. honestly, it's absolutely. And I've, my appreciation of the fan base has just like grown massively into this sort of community, and that's how this has spawned. You know, yeah, you know, you can, I, you know, I might, I might chat to Phil, Phil said I'll get Sam on, and da, 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 you know, and it's just. Snowballs. I know. I'm already, I'm already thinking of a list of names to give you once this Sam's is done, mate. Brilliant. So brace like, yourself. And no, I love it, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> Basically, I want to hit 500 eventually. It's going to take a few years, but 500. Right. Wow, yeah. Because that matches a survey that the club did back in 2003, um, asking about fans' dream 11. But I've changed the, the criteria slightly mm. to make it more mm. inclusive of people. For you, Sam, what was your, what was your, because obviously West Ham fan, you know, fanatic, what was your earliest West Ham memory? Uh, well, I've got very, I've got, I do have very vague memories of the 1980 Cup final when I would have only been five. But we, in those days, everyone used to go to my grandma's house to watch the Cup final in the days when Cup final was like Christmas Day and, yeah. you know, the families got together. And I remember being at my family, at my grandma's house, and a lot of my uncles there would have been Spurs fans. There weren't any West Ham fans in my family other than my older brother. And I don't, to be honest, I've got, I've got three brothers. They're all older than me and they all support different clubs. And the middle one supports West Ham. And he had a big influence on me uh, supporting them. But really, it was my best mate where I grew up was a West Ham fan. And his dad was a big West Ham fan and used to take us. And that's what really got me hooked. Yeah. And around that time, when I was li living a few doors down from this, this kid, Alex Jones, who was my best mate, and him and his dad had really, my dad, I didn't live with my dad, so I didn't have a dad at home telling me yeah. to support, but I spent yeah. a lot of time with this with this other family. And they got me into the idea of West Ham. And then in the middle of it, West Ham winning the cup final. And I'm sort of cheering them on. And I've got uncles and people all taking the mickey out of me doing all that, West Ham, West Ham, <laughs> what do you want West Ham for? And all that, like, I don't, you know, suppose they thought it was a joke or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's a bit of it. But, my, but then... 
I also have a, that's, that's very vague. A more vivid memory was when I was about, I suppose I would have been about eight. And I remember hearing on the radio, Tony Cotty scoring a goal against Tottenham on his debut. And I remember just being captivated by the idea of this kid because it was so like reading Roy the Rovers. The idea mm-hmm. that kid, I think he was only 17. Yeah. And the idea of a kid coming out of the youth team and scoring on his debut against your big rivals. Yeah. Um, I kind of got that and it sort of played to the, to the narratives of football that I'd picked up from reading things like Roy the Rovers, that sure, we had this yeah. kid who had, it was, you know, it's this blonde haired kid. He kind of looked sort of yeah, quite yeah, yeah. like a comic book hero. And I remember hearing that on the radio and my brother, my West Ham fan brother, Don would have had it on the radio and had explained it to me and was going mad that we'd won. And that's a real vivid sort of memory of the kind of whole romance and excitement of, of loving a football club yeah. really kind of hitting me then. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's not, not a bad one to have, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's lovely about it. Cause you're hearing some people like it's, it's those, it's those memories, not necessarily, Oh, my first game was again. No, it's yeah. not that it's, it's that. And that's what hooked you on. That, that's, that's lovely. Yeah. Like a story. It's often a story around the club, isn't yeah. it? That, get, that gets you into it. And that was one of the things that really hooked me in deep. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. And, and since say, since sort of like the early eighties onwards, there's, you know, 30, 40 years, uh, something like that now. Mm-hmm. What, what sort of, obviously you have many, many troughs and a few peaks. What would you say would be sort of your fondest memories since then? You know, sort of like. Well, in the, obviously the famous 85, 86 season yeah. was when I had a group of mates and we were all actually from West London. But at my primary school in West London, there was a little gang about most people in those days. I was, there was a lot of people who supported Spurs because yeah. even though it was West London, it was the era that Spurs had Glenn Hoddle and had been to the cup final a couple of times and stuff like that. And other than that, there was a lot of Liverpool and Everton in that era. But there was a small group of us who supported West Ham. And I, I still can't really work out why. I think it was this, this kid, Alex Jones, his dad was from these, then was from Bethnal Green. And he was massive into them. And he was an impressive bloke. He was a sort of dad. We lived on this estate in Brentford in West London. And he was sort of like an alpha male figure, right? He was a local. So you looked up to him. He drove a sports car. He was quite tough looking. He was just, and he had a big personality. And you liked just being near him, right? And his son happened to be my best mate. And the fact that he encouraged you to support West Ham and would take us over. Yeah. to West Ham would just like captivate your imagination. Then we had these other mates around us um, and all of their dads actually would take us, you know, if it was someone's birthday, would make the effort to take the group of us, the four oh, of wow. us over to Upton Park. And that, those were my first experience being taken on like friends' birthdays by their dads and all the dads got into it. And I just think it was amazing. Actually, I look back and I think those dads, only one of them was actually a real yeah. West Ham fan. One of them yeah, was yeah, a yeah. Glaswegian Glasgow Rangers fan. But because his son, William, who was another one of our mates, got so into West Ham, yeah. he started taking us and he embraced West Ham. So we all, so there was this, there was a little group of us. And because it was so, seemed so incongruous that we were at school in West London in the 80s and we supported West Ham, made us more of a gang and yeah. it bonded us more. And we all went on secondary school together where it got even more intense. And we went to a school that's full of Chelsea fans, right? And we were even more of a gang then because it makes you even more defiant and yeah. determined, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. we all used to we all used to go together. We used to like, you know, once we were at secondary school, we'd be finishing school on a Wednesday and jumping on a tube for about 30 stops on the district line yeah, all the way yeah, across yeah. London in our school uniform to go and watch West Ham when we were like 13. Yeah. On a on a Wednesday night. And it's a real bonding experience, you know. It is, yeah. It's a long old trail. I mean, I used to work in Ealing, so uh, yeah. I, if right, I had yeah. to, if I had to do an evening game, um, obviously I live in Essex, so I was literally one mm. side of the centre. So yeah, I know that that district line from Ealing Broadway, yeah, yeah. Upton Park was a nightmare. Yeah, but yeah it's, no, it's and not it's, easy. You need commitment. You need, you need commitment and a good. We always place. used to say, "There's a, on the way home when you got older and you'd been in like the Duke of Edinburgh or the Queens before getting on the tube, and you'd had." a fair few pints of lager we'd always say it was tower hill was the point at which you could bear it no longer right <laughs> it was called, it was called that it was called like the tower hill danger zone or something because that was where people would always think that's it i'm done i'm getting off i'm getting off i'm going for a slash you know <laughs> oh i love it it's so true it's so true right that's great right sam obviously i said what we're doing as well is we're we're talking about 
your hammers 11 so as a, yeah. all the people are given their 11s and and it could be i mean we try and keep it to a 442 the only real caveat is you have to be alive to have seen them play so obviously you and yeah. me we couldn't put bobby yeah. moore in but we could put yeah. in javier margas spoiler <laughs> oh, how did case. you guess oh, first damn. name on my first list yeah. on the team sheet have it the, the the claret head died javier <laughs> margas um but obviously it's your 11 so you can talk about whoever the hell you want to talk about mm. you might want to talk about your mm. best players or your favorite players or the shittiest mm. players it really doesn't matter and that's what's really nice mm. someone's made an impression on you and obviously you know yeah the whole thing around tony clotty and stuff that made an impression on you so there'd be players who've yeah. done the same with you so in terms of your team sam who would go between the sticks for the Sam 11? Well, it's got to be Ludo for me. I mean, yeah. you know, it would have been a toss up between him and Phil Parts. Phil Parts was a big hero. I, I played in goal a lot when I was a kid sure. and I loved and I, and I loved it and I obsessed over goalkeepers and Phil Parts when I was a kid was like a real hero. But then the reason Ludo wins out is during the era in which I started going all the time, like, you know, at the season ticket and was there with my mates all the time. Um, he came into the team and, you know, he was just such a massive cult hero. He was an incredible goalkeeper. Um, Parks, towards the end of me seeing him, towards the end of his career, was very often injured. And sometimes that meant he didn't play or sometimes meant he did play, but was not the keeper he'd once Mm -hmm. been. Mm -hmm. Ludo, at his greatest, a bizarre, a signing by Lou Macari, who, you know, comes in for a lot of stick, but I think he signed some some players who kind Mm -hmm. of, went on to become legends for year. So in his very brief stint in charge, he, he made a huge impact yeah. on the club. And one of the biggest things he did was sign this unknown giant Czech keeper, um, who I just loved. And obviously there's key performances I remember being at, like the famous Manchester United game yeah. the last day of the season. But really, Ludo had been playing like that from day one. I mean, he was he was absolutely sensational bloke. Yeah. Um, and I love him and he kind of was seemed to be there for so long as well I think he must have joined maybe 1990 and then you know did most of that decade didn't he yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah it's got to be Ludo yeah sure and, and a lovely guy as well off the pitch by the mm. sounds of, by you know, the stories that have been coming through already Loopy yeah. Ludo as my granddad used to call him we'll put him in <laughs> um, <laughs> there's only three players he my, my granddad God rest his soul would always talk about Loopy Ludo he always called him Loopy Ludo just because he was like a different keeper to probably Phil Park you know he was he was quite <laughs> athletic wasn't he Ludo he was quite yeah. you know um, where Phil Park because yeah, Parks looked like a big monster yeah he did yeah, yeah. Like, he was yeah. like part of the trend in the 70s and yes. early 80s of footballers who looked like monsters from comic books there was loads of them John Walks a classic yeah, yeah, same yeah, genre yeah. Steve Grigovic Bill Parts <laughs> looked like a big monster who'd come out of the woods right um, so powerful and fierce but not like nimble I mean you see keepers nowadays they're yeah, they're a disgrace by comparison you get yeah. slips slips of a like callow youths between the sticks <laughs> don't you Spelt. Not like your park sees, no, but no. Uh, I mean, Glasgow was the perfect like uh, in between. Yeah, he wasn't hybrid. quite a big lumbering unit like no. your Phil Parks of this world, but he's not like you know De Gea. Who's yeah, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't a, get knocked a off a ball. Lad. No, exactly. No. He wouldn't get knocked off a ball for a challenge. But yeah, we'll put Ludo in. Lovely shouts. Uh, let's go. Let's go left back, Sam. Who have we got left back? Well. I mean, I'd be surprised if anyone's gone or very many people have gone for anyone other than Julian Dix. I have to go for him. I was tempted by George Paris yeah. because George Paris it was, you know, uh, I think a very underrated player. People yes. often sort of suggested he was like a bit of a weak link in that 86 team. But I've been, as everyone has been, I've been watching a lot of old games back on Facebook thanks to um, Banks, yeah. our fellow Hammer Rob Banks, <laughs> right? And I I keep thinking, bloody hell, George Paris was some player, right? Yeah. Plus, he was a great guy. Plus, there was a great chant about him. I bumped into him once on a train on the way to Brighton and just went over and bothered him. I was a student at the time. I just bothered him for a whole train journey. And he was very good about it. So I've always felt. But I cannot not say Junior Dix. Junior Dix is my all-time favourite West Ham player simply because I've never seen a player who cared even more than the fans. You know, people say... Oh, I love I love a player. I love a player who looks like he cares as much as the fans. I used to look at him and think, Jesus Christ, that bloke cares more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> He's a, but yeah, what a player and what a, what a gifted player as well. Indeed. Aside yeah. from all the madness and the aggression and the strength and the leadership, 
a, a really gifted footballer, massively underrated, should have yep. played several times for England. I, I personally think he's every bit as good as Stuart Pearce, if not better. Um, but, you know, yeah. obviously his face didn't fit. But I absolutely love Julian Dix. I mean, I, I can remember all the goals, the penalties that looked like, they always looked like, had the net not been there, they, the ball would have carried on and on forever yeah, and yeah, hit yeah. the sun. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> they were just, the very definition of that commentator phrase, rising all the time. Yeah. They, they were unstoppable. Yeah, unstoppable were. penalties, right? There was no point to keep even standing there. Um, but in terms of the mad stuff, my favourite memory and one of my favourite ever games uh, that I, I remember was, I think, in 91. Was it? Or maybe it was earlier. I don't know. But it was Wimbledon in the Cup. It's quite a famous sure. midweek cup game. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a, maybe a quarterfinal against Wimbledon, the crazy gang. Extremely fiery-tempered. Lots of aggro all the way through. Um, uh, I think, like, Dennis... No, Eric Young absolutely poleaxes young Stuart Slater. There's a big fight. All the players get involved. 22-man brawl. I was standing on the North Bank in my school uniform Wednesday <laughs> night. The atmosphere was brilliant. I, I remember saying to my mate, "This is." it was around the rave era. And I was yeah. going, this is just, this has got to be better than any rave you could go to. This is, I remember saying, like, this has got to be better than being on ecstasy, right? Because <laughs> it was, it just felt so mad. Yeah, it just felt yeah, so yeah. mad and electric, right? Yeah. And um, so everyone was going mad and surging forward and doing all that shouting West Ham aggro that they used to when the players fought. And then the game restarted and I knew Julian was not going to leave it there. And, you know, anyone will remember this moment if they were there. It's like the game restarts, the ball falls to Dennis Wise, who, of course, had been right in the middle of all of this yeah. aggro, winding everyone up. And as soon as Wise receives the ball, Dix just runs from miles away and goes straight through him. I think he knocked him clean off the pitch. And then uh, my memory is he just he just got up and walked off. He didn't wait <laughs> to see the red. He just said, you know, it was all a case of bye. See you later, lads. <laughs> And as it happens, we won the game anyway. Martin Allen scored a late winner. And so it was uh, one of my greatest memories, yeah. thanks in part to Julian Dixie's insanity. Yes, exactly. And I mean, that's the thing about Dixie. I mean, you know, particularly his second spell, he, he looked less like a football player, didn't he? You know, he walked here, he had a shaving head, he ripped his, from the pub. He's, yeah, yeah, he used to rip his shirt open. I love that when he like the, when they had the hoop yeah. collar. He had, he had these um, socks around his ankles, wouldn't he? And uh, but he was just like, yeah, he was a brilliant player. I just, mm. There's, there's, you know, I've, I've, when I've talked about Julian on the channel before, you know, there's not many defenders, let alone fullbacks, who have that impact on a game and a crowd. I can't think yeah. of any, you know, just because no, he, no. as you said, you said, you know, a thumping tackle or one of his penalties, he yeah. was just galvanised the crowd. But and, sometimes he would just take a game by the scruff of the net in the way yeah. that people used to see Steven Gerrard doing it yep. for Liverpool or Brian Robson would sometimes do it for United mm. where even if the rest of the team were playing badly, they'd just be like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this on my own, right? Yeah. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to win the ball. I'm going to drive the whole team forward. I'm going to score the goal and do all the tackling. I'm going to do the lot. Yeah. And there's not many players do that. And when they do do it, it is almost always someone in that central midfield leader role, exactly. like a Brian Robson or a Steven yeah. Gerrard. But I saw Julian Dix do that in, let's be honest, pretty poor West Ham teams. Mm. Numerous times, too many times to count. He couldn't do it every game. Who could? But there were so many games during that era, during the 90s, where Dixie would just pick up the ball when we were playing lacklustre. He'd just pick up the ball from a left-back position and drive all the way forward, very often yeah. scoring or creating a goal solo from left back. Yeah. I don't mean there's anyone like that. No, no, I can't think of anyone for sure. Right, like, Julian's nailed in. Okay, let's go with let's go with right back, Sam. Who should we have on the other side? Right back, I'll say Tim Breaker, because yeah. I think if I look back over the years, he's he's never like a huge kind of he's not the sexiest of players, no. so to speak. People aren't gonna go and talk about him like they do about Julian Dix. And there aren't perhaps as many moments. And I, and I think he perhaps, I didn't appreciate him as much at the time, but exactly. I think right back's always been in a tricky position for West Ham almost yes. ever since those days. I can't think of many who, yeah, there's been some decent ones. Sabaleta was good. Repka was good. You know, but there was never, he, he filled that position for so long. And again, looking back over the, the Rob Banks archive, mm -hmm. the amount of like goals he created, yeah. 
you know, the, the, the amount he attacked was fantastic. And, and during that era, when we had um, uh, Dicks on, on, one, uh, on one flank and Breaker on the other, it was good old-fashioned 4-4-2 with the full-backs creating as many chances as, yes. as wingers or midfielders. Exactly. And so I liked him. And I also remember being really excited when we signed him because, I, you know, I was fairly young and, you know, a lot of your knowledge of other players at other clubs came from your Panini sticker album. <laughs> And Tim Breaker seemed like an unusual name for a footballer, right? Mm. And I'd always noticed him. I'd, I must have just had a load yeah. of spares of Tim Breaker. He must have been <laughs> one of those ones that you always had a double of. Yeah, so yeah. I had this player from Luton Town called Tim Breaker with blonde curly hair and a strange name. And, I, and then I see on Teletext, I said, signed Tim Breaker. It blew my mind. Yeah. You know, because he was a, he was a Panini sticker book hero. Yeah, and yeah, then we yeah, bought yeah. him and he turned out to be good. So I've got to go with him. Yeah, that's great shit. And I'm the same with you. I didn't have a, I, I've, I've had a newfound respect for Tim Breaker since watching Rob's <laughs> stuff yeah. because, yeah, again, you, it was like a name you'd always see, but you wouldn't really yeah. associate it. But yeah, he came yeah, here to, and uh, we interviewed. Um, he, th- he used to make thundering runs for. Yeah, really exactly. good thundering runs for. I was forward, talking and we've, to. We've lacked a right back like that. Oh yeah, we have for a long time. And we, I was talking to Kenny yeah. Brown, and and he had Breaker on his team, and yeah. He said that exact reason. He was like the ultimate, like professional. He was like right. so, like you know. And I was like, really? But then I went back and looked at it. I thought, yeah, you know. And I give him shout. Give well, him Kenny Brown was fine for the same position, really, was, wasn't yeah, he? Exactly. He played right yeah. back as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what he said. He was like, I wasn't going to get in over it when Tim was yeah. playing. To be honest, right? Okay, we'll put break on the other on the right back. Let's go centre backs. Then Sam, who's your first centre back? Well, Alvin's got to be one. Um, yep. Because obviously he was the, the captain for so long. When I first got very heavily into the team, uh, that 85-86 season, he was our leader. He played. He was the only West Ham player at the time who played for England regularly. Which yeah. again, as a kid, I was so excited. It made yeah. such it made such a big deal to you at the time if if one of your lads got picked for England. Now I think most of us are gutted if Declan gets picked yeah. for England because part of us are just worried because of the Dean Ashton experience. Yeah. Was, you know, bloody yeah. hell, they'll go and get yeah. injured. No one likes England anymore. But when I was a kid, seeing Alvin Martin playing the 1986 World Cup finals in Mexico, uh, 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 among all those legends like, you know, Lineker and Waddle and Mm. Poddle and Robson, it was so so thrilling. And he was a brilliant player, brilliant leader. To be honest, I think West Ham, again, have lacked anyone in the the mould of Alvin Martin ever since then, that the really accomplished, reliable... We've had some good centre-backs, but the, the way in which he was just like always there, always our leader, always jumps forward. And then since then, I've, I've been so lucky to have met him and worked with him at Talk Sport and, you know, got to know him quite well. And he's like genuinely one of the nicest blokes, football or otherwise, I've ever worked with. And everyone says that he's worked with Alvin. And so, you know, the man is a legend and he's definitely first-choice centre-back. He's like, and and it's a, it's a phrase I've coined. He's, he's an adopted Cockney, you know. He's like, yeah. you know, from Liverpool. He was like, but he just got it, and you know, still lives around the area, and you know, he's, yeah. And he's just brilliant. Yeah, him, it, 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 Mark Ward, similar. Um, yeah. Both Scouse lads who are totally passionate about West Ham. Yeah. They are claret and blue through and through. It's not a phony kind of. Oh yeah, you know, no, I'll yeah, always have yeah, an affection yeah. for them because I play for them. They're West Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're 100% West Ham. They're as much West Ham as anyone. And it's yeah. incredible to see that, the infectiousness of it. No, exactly. It's a good shout. And who's who's out, who's having a partner in the middle then, Sam? Well, it was a tough one again, but I'm going to go for Steve Potts, another legendary captain. Uh, one of the most underrated players yes. of that era in British football, in my opinion. Um, I thought that he was just an incredible defender. I, he, he reminded me of great sort of, he actually reminded me quite a lot of great sort of Italian defenders or continental defenders like your Franco Baresi's mm. in that he was not, he was not big. He was not a monster, <laughs> right? He was not big, but you know, you look at Baresi who was rated in the same era as the best defender in the world in that mm. generation. And he was small and mobile and sort of relentless and scrappy and then decent on the ball as well. Yeah. And that was Steve Potts. I mean, I just thought Steve Potts was such an understated individual. 
uh, that he was never made big headlines for us, even though he was he was quietly our captain for a long yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He pretty much succeeded Alvin when Alvin started to be injured quite a lot. And I just thought he was amazing, and I think he I think he qualified to play for for the USA. Yeah, but I don't know if he got any caps. But I'm sure he would have qualified for England too. And my obsession in that time, again, I was very obsessed with West Ham players getting recognition from the England squad. And I was obsessed with why Steve Potts wasn't in the England squad. And you'd say that even now to a fan of any other club and they'd laugh. So I guess yeah, Steve yeah, Potts, yeah. it just seems like we've heard of him, he's a generic player. No, Steve Potts was a world-class defender, right? I'd watch him and I'd think, He's the next Bobby Moore. I remember Bobby Moore on UK Gold, not saying he's the next me, but heaping him with praise. Because he was he was that kind of sophisticated defender. Yeah, he didn't need to yeah. be big and brutish. He was like a, um, uh, a, what do you call it? He was like, a, well, he was just glue himself to a rival yeah. defender. He was much better at centre-back than right-back. He started yeah. out playing at right-back, and I didn't think he was so good in that position. I actually saw him get mullered a couple of times in that position, like by Ginola in particular. But mm. at centre-back, Absolutely great, absolutely yeah. brilliant, elegant, scrappy, but composed on the ball. I love yeah. Steve Potts and a lovely haircut. Yeah, great haircut. Too. <laughs> it's never, never a hair out of place, right? Yeah, put Potts <laughs> in. Great shout. Okay, that's your back four done. You got your goalkeeper. Let's go into midfield. Let's go. Let's go left back, Sam, and left wing rather. Who've got a left wing? Left wing, it's got to be Dimitri Payet. Yeah. Dimitri Payet is the, I mean, you could put him really anywhere in a midfield yeah. or attack, but I'll go, I'll put him left wing. You know, you got to make special mention of Alan Devonshire, who obviously was a big part of the team when I first was going. Yeah, sure. And, you know, a lot of people say, and the players of that boys of 86 team will all say he was like by far the most talented plenty. Yeah. And he was great. But for me, Dimitri Payet is the most talented and skillful player I've ever seen at West Ham. And it's quite a big thing to say, and we'll get on to talking about Kenyo and you know and Joe Cole and there's so many skillful players you can talk about. Yeah. But Payet for that one season, for me, he was he was the form player in the world. Yeah. You know, if you if you if you look at his performances, and what I can't get my head around is the fact that. First of all, he came to us. He'd had a season at Marseille where mm. he'd got more assists than any other player in Europe, including yeah. Messi and Ronaldo, right? So, in all honesty, when he signs for us and you hear that stat, you think there must be a deep flaw in this guy because, yeah. all due respect, but, it, you know, with those stats, why is he signing for us? And he was oldish. He was 26 or whatever. Mm. And you think, why isn't he at a, a top, top Champions League side? So, I thought, there's got to be a catch here. <laughs> And then I also thought, you know, as you do about all foreign players, really, especially those foreign, like, attacking flair players, you look at some of the greats, the likes of Perez and Henri at Arsenal. Yeah. They've taken a year to settle in, right? Yeah. They take it. They take time. Dimitri Payet, from his first game in the Premier League, was that 1-0 away win at... Or was it 1-0? No, it was more than 1-0, wasn't it? But the, the away win at Arsenal. Yeah. yeah when Reece Oxford played, right? And he was unreal in that game. People didn't notice because they were talking more about Reese Oxford the next day. But he just, he walked in like he'd been playing all day. He yeah. just walked into the Premier League from, let's be honest, the weaker league, right? The French yeah. League. He walked in, looked around, and he just started taking a piss from day one. Yeah, he didn't think, true. oh, I'll see it, I'll see it. He was taking this from day one. He was having the piss out of world-class players. He was nutmegging people and doing every trick in the book. He was playing like Ronaldinho. Yeah. But from the first day to the last day of the season, notwithstanding an injury, which even that he bounced back from in like record yeah, time. Yeah. I thought, this is ridiculous. When we went into the Euros that summer, um, I bought my I bought my kids Payet, France Payet shirts with Payet on the back <laughs> because Spurs' um, England squad was basically the Spurs team. Yeah, I yeah, couldn't bring myself to get behind them, right? I was like, England, I'm not bothered. I'm not supporting all these Spurs players. I'm supporting bloody France. And France should have won it as well. Yeah. And he scored on their first game, he scored a world-class goal. I just thought every time this player gets the ball, he scores a world-class goal. How has he got to this age not being more famous, yeah. right, than he already, than he, than he should have been? I still don't understand. And, I, and then, you know, as I understand it, he went to Marseille and just went back to being what, 
people sort of expected of him, which is one of those sort of players who, who has flashes of genius. A few and times an a player, yeah, but, yeah. The, but the rest of the time is a bit of a passenger. Mm. That wasn't what he was like that no, season for no. West Ham. He was a nine out of 10, something mm. like 10 out of 10, every time he played. Yeah. Unbelievable player. He was. I mean, you can tell, I just get excited thinking about the bloke. And I know he ended on bad terms. I don't care. No, I don't care either. about that. He gave me more joy in my early 40s, I suppose it was. He, he delivered more joy. I thought that I thought that level of football in joy was a thing of the past. It was it was confined to my childhood and adolescence. Yeah. I'd never feel that way again about watching a West Ham player, but he proved me wrong. Yeah, no, exactly. He was an amazing player. And as you said, there was, you know, anywhere like 20, 30 yards out, free kick, we're going to score it. When was that? I don't remember that. Probably yeah. Jude, maybe Julian, maybe because you know they have a they have a shot, oh, maybe. But it's like yeah, still, yeah, it's like maybe Julian, yeah. Or Tony yeah. Gale do a few free kicks, whatever. No. But yeah, with like, Pyatt, you think it's it's at the least it's going to be on target. Yeah, like, at least it's going to be on target. Now, I mean, we hadn't had a player like that for years either. You always saw players taking free kicks you didn't think were really free kick takers, but they were the ones sort of, oh, give it a go. Bunch, we yeah. didn't have a specialist. No. I mean, Noble used to take a lot of them, but we, we hadn't had a specialist in, the, in many a year. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that season, I saw him score a lot, but I was at Old Trafford behind yes. the goal. Yeah. In the upper tier behind the goal when he scored that incredible free kick from what still feels like when I picture it in my mind, like 50 yards out. <laughs> I'm sure it's like 30, yeah. but in my mind it was 50. I mean, it just seems so far out. You just think there is no way. There is no way he's going to do it. It's a bit like Gazza in that semi-final against Arsenal those years ago. You think he's not really going to try one. From there, yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. No, and we were surrounded by United fans who were livid. It was one of those situations where they'd, They'd fucked up the ticketing, and there was a group of us all sitting in one, in, you know, West yeah, Ham fans yeah, yeah. all sitting in one sort of supposedly neutral area, and we all <laughs> stood up at one. But I mean, even if you'd planned not to, it was one of those games that was so sensational, you lost control over your you own to, yeah. body and mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad for a football player to do that for you. No, yeah, mm. Dimmy, yeah, best player I've ever seen. No, I totally agree with that. Right, let's go to the other wing then, Sam. Let's go to the, the right wing. Who have you got in the right wing? I'm going Trevor Sinclair. I love Trevor Sinclair. Um, you know, a special mention to Mark Ward, who's another guy who I've become friends with over the years mm. um, and was brilliant when I was a kid. I loved watching Mark Ward play and he's a top bloke. But if I'm honest about my own, I based most of this, not not always on an objective who was the best player, but I think in the spirit of, of what you're doing, on your channel, I've tried to talk, think of it in terms of what players had the biggest emotional yeah. impact yeah. on me. And in terms of the amount of player team games I saw him playing and the amount of memories that he gave me when I was there at Upton Park in the flesh, Trevor Sinclair during that Harry Redknapp era in particular, where he often was playing almost like right wing back. Yeah. Uh, because Harry liked to play 3-5-2, but with wingers rather than fullbacks out wide sort of thing, because that's Harry. Yeah. And Sinclair was amazing at that job. He was absolutely incredible. And when we signed him, it again, it was one of those great red nap signings where people thought that he was on the way down in his career because he'd had a great spell at QPR. He'd scored that famous overhead kick mm -hmm. for them. Uh, but by the time we signed him, we got him on the cheap. They'd been relegated and people said that he was overweight and his ass was too fat. That was the famous thing yeah, that people yeah. would say about Trevor Sinclair and that he'd got a bit slow. And that was why Redknapp stole in and thought, actually, I think that's bollocks. I think yeah. Trevor Sinclair is a brilliant player. He just needs a little bit of a, you know, kick up the ass or whatever. And I, th I, th I think, I remember him scoring two goals against Everton at Upton Park. And I think that was his debut. I think so, yeah. I'll have to go back and double check. Yeah. But, but he scored two. I think it was a two-all draw. And I remember, because I was so excited, because I'd loved him at QPR, so I was so excited we'd signed him. He straight away, again, he hit the ground running. He didn't take time. It was like yeah, exactly. just the transfer alone was enough to sort of almost oh, reset God, yeah. him, to, you know, to his factory settings sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I sat next, I had a cup. It was, I, I remember holding a cup of tea. And there was a lad who I didn't really know sitting next to me. And he, when the goal went in, I think a corner came in and, and Sinclair ran into the box late and headed it in. And the lad next to me punched the air. And as he did so, he knocked 
this boiling hot cup of tea at point blank range <laughs> into my face. And obviously that was a very memorable experience. And I just always think of that moment. When I think of Trevor Sinclair, I think of his debut at the club and a cup of tea exploding all over my face. But me kind of cheering through it because I was yeah. so excited. Enamored, yeah. No, he was. An and amazing it... player. And the other, the other big memory was, again, going to England. When he came on for England um, against Argentina in the 2002 World mm. Cup. And he'd been a very, very late call-up because yeah. I think Danny Murphy had got injured. Hard. And he came out there and he'd only arrived the day before, so he must have been jet-lagged. And he came on and he played. I remember watching that in a packed pub somewhere in London. And he came on, I was going mad. Just, you know, you, you celebrate when a West Ham player comes on, don't you? Especially when yeah. you're in a pub with England fans, you support other teams. Yeah. And you kind of want them to know nothing actually matters to you as much as West Ham. Like, I don't care about England. I just want that bloke to play well. And he yeah. played absolutely brilliantly. Another very underrated player who was unlucky to be in his position in the same era as David Beckham. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think they then play most of those games at left left wing, didn't they? I think. Yeah, they used to play him on the left, which was a, a tricky position for England yeah. at the time. So I guess that's how he he got a bit of a run in the side during that World Cup. But he, he was good in all those games. Yeah, he was. And and, and 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 the second player my granddad would remember, he was blind. He's getting yeah. a bit. His, his eyesight was going. Despite the fact he drove everywhere, yeah. any any black player for West Ham was Trevor Sinclair, who did something good. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, they're uh, always bloody, Trevor Sinclair. Bloody, bloody Sinclair. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Sinclair, yeah. Lovely, lovely shit. Okay, let's go midfield, Sam. Who's your first midfielder? Nobes has got to be the first yeah. choice. Uh, I love Mark Noble. You know, a, a, a proper link, I think, to old West Ham. Yes. You know, in as much as, you know, he's, he's from the area. He's been at the club his whole life. He's a real throwback player. He even looks like, I don't know what it is he, about him. I, even I know exactly. Like was, yeah, I know. I yeah, can yeah. sort of see him in a, like the 1981 shirt coming yeah. out against Liverpool in the League Cup final or something. He's just like, he's always been there. I think he's really gifted. I, I always, I get a bit sad when over the years people periodically write him off. It seems to have been mm-hmm. going on for ages, but then he'll always turn in Every season, there'll be a, a handful of like really breathtaking, yeah, ca- real captain performances. Yes, an amazing all-round player fits into a grand tradition of West Ham midfielders who are all action, like. And and we're going to get onto that with my next choice, but <laughs> the, the the sort of player who could do the lot, you know, not like the tradition was you'd have a Billy Bonds next to a Trevor Brookin, and that yeah. in the days of four four two, all clubs had. Your hard man and your passer, right? Yeah. And like you know, so Spurs would have—I don't know—they'd have Steve Perryman next to Glenn Hoddle yeah. or what or whatever. But uh, West Ham, I think, over the years have had really great all-action midfielders who do the lot. You know, they'll tackle, they'll run, yeah. they'll 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 scrap, but then also they'll score the odd worldie or they'll yeah. pick out Michel Platini-like passes. You know. <laughs> And and I bet I, I genuinely think Noble at his best was right up there amongst the best of them. So I mainly I, I love him for emotional reasons because he's been there through so many different teams, so many different eras. We might yeah. not see another player like Mark Noble ever again. But um, I also love him because you know I think he's a genuinely talented footballer, really talented footballer. I mean, you know, he's, the amount of games he's played in the Premier League yeah. out, outdoes most players. Not yeah. just West Ham players, but yeah. most players. Exactly. And I think I think with Nobes, I mean, yeah, he, he's part of that dying breed, unfortunately, that yeah, not, not just the one man clubs, but the, the people who you stay around for a long time, you know what I mean? Mm. If you get three years out of a player now, you've done well. Um yeah. and yeah. like him, you know, I was it was the Tony Gall interview. We were talking about he was talking about, you know, his testimonial and I think in his time they he had had like 11 testimonials, like years, like literally one after each other yeah. here and then Jeff Pike. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no that the testimonial itself as a concept is yeah, so it rare really now. Exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noble, yeah. I can think of Vincent Company had one, Carragher yeah. had one. I mean, will there be a, what will be the next West Ham one? I can't think, can't think of anyone who's maybe close. Yeah, Chriswell yeah, maybe. yeah. I mean, he's been around, not, no, no way 10 years yet, but obviously Ginger Pele was like nine kind yeah. of um, yeah yeah but but yeah it doesn't happen very often now you know let's hope Declan Rice makes it De- but Declan to be Rice. honest 
I can't see it happening. I, I can't see Declan Rice being that's West Ham. That's another years. issue. That's another issue. When, when, West, when West Ham players play for England or play well yeah. at European, you're like, shit. You're not totally yeah. injured, but shit. Shopping maybe if, maybe if um, Nobes had got the England recognition that we all think he should have done, yeah. maybe he wouldn't have been around. But something tells me he would have been because he's yeah. he's proper West Ham, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, you know. It's true. And I think he, he absolutely loves the club. And the chance of us getting another player like that, like mm-hmm. even if Declan stays, I'm sure Declan Rice loves West Ham, builds a lot of affection towards the fans and everything. And I think he's great. But, you know, at the end of the day, he grew up a Chelsea fan and we got him from Chelsea. Yeah. So he's, he's, there's part of his heart, understandably, is going to belong to them. Yeah. But to have a Martin, even, even Billy Bonds came from Charlton Athletic. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, Mark Noble, you know, he's, he's, he's there with like Trevor Brookin and Bobby Moore as, yeah. as proper local lads, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think, yeah, when he does retire, he'll be in, on the coaching staff or... You I know, hope so. I'd, I'd love to see him manager of the club. I'd love like, to. Yeah. I think West Ham, more than ever now, need things like that we've we've mucked up a lot in the past you know not enough really is said about the way in which we neglected Bobby Moore Mm. um you know Trevor Brookin of course is a big part of the club and that's fantastic but Noble needs to be because now with the way all of us fans feel about the move to the London Stadium the change in so much stuff whether it be the badge um Mm. the atmosphere around the club yeah, you know it, it's very important for West Ham fans. I mean, I'm sure it's the case for all fans of all clubs, but we're we're so kind of obsessed with history and a sense of family mm-hmm. at West Ham. I think you know these owners who often make the wrong decision, right, need to understand that Mark Noble needs to stay at the club yeah. in a yeah. significant role forever. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think Mark will allow that any other way. You know, he'll be yeah. like, yeah, yeah they'll be kicking and screaming him. Dragging him out if that happened, but no, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Nobs is yeah, Mister. Mr. I mean, he's our he's my my Billy Bonds really, and because yeah. I was yeah, yeah. a Billy, and you know, he said he's a he's a one man club and a great guy. But who's who's Mark going to partner in the middle then? I'm going to stick him next to Ian Bishop. Oh. This was the toughest. This was the toughest uh, position for me to choose, probably yeah. because there's so many central midfielders, and you think of the ones who were particular. Like Scott Parker was one who I think again because of the circumstance in which he left, because he went to Spurs. People, but I mean, Jesus Christ, Scott Parker for about three or four seasons was unbelievable. Another player, like we said about Julian Dix, who would take the game on his own yes, he played yeah. in some pretty shitty West Ham teams right but rather than let it get him down he would just take the game uh, you know he'd take it on himself yeah. and just score goals and set up goals and make every tackle and he was like but anyway let's not get into that I didn't choose him um, because maybe it was the Tottenham move I don't know but however brilliant I remember him being there's not that same emotional connection but when I think of Ian Bishop Mm. And the team that got promoted in the early 90s that had yeah. Bishop and Dix and Stuart Slater and Martin Allen, who was also very close to me choosing in this position. I loved Ian Bishop. He was such a classy player. He he, uh, he was a proper old school playmaker. He stroked the ball around the pitch, made things happen. But on top of that, again, like I said earlier, he's up there with Martin Allen, John Monker, Ian Bishop. These are three in Mark Noble later. These are players who kind of did the lot. They'd get yeah. stuck in. They'd throw challenges in that got the whole crowd off their seat cheering, right? But then they were capable of unbelievable breathtaking skills as well, yeah. you know. But Ian Bishop, I, I couldn't, I struggled between him, Martin Allen and John Monco. I went for Bishop because it was a great era for West Ham, that, it I was, think, the yeah, early yeah, 90s. Yeah. Bishop lasted much later and carried on playing, you know, to, to in, in a later era as well. Um, but I just loved him and I loved his unfashionable 1970s hairstyle yeah. uh, that he used to lash players with as he turned on the ball, which was always great. I think it was, I think it was the brilliant fans in Fortunes Always Hiding uh, that did the, um, that used to do a cartoon in which it often said, you know, Bishop turns lashing the opposition player <laughs> defender with his unfashionable 70s hairstyle, right? But he really did. He'd turn the ball, do like a Cruyff turn, look one way, turn the other, and the hair got so long yeah. and out of control, it would whip the other player, yeah. the defender, in, in the face and disorientate them momentarily, <laughs> which was a great thing. 
I loved Ian Bishop. He was another one I thought should have played for England. Yeah, I love. Yeah, Bishop is a great shout. Uh, he he randomly, you know, you know, like they don't really do it very often now. But you know, like kids' programs, they used to do, like the pranks where yeah. you know. I know, no, not no evidence. Or someone would turn up at the school and it would be like, oh, you know, and gun someone yeah. or something like that. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. did. He did it at my school, like my brother. Um, it was with. Uh, do you remember Dave Benson Phillips? Yeah, yeah. Of course, the legend, entertainment yeah. legend. Yeah. So he, it was him. Uh, it was some school. I don't know how, how they got hold of my brother's thing, but he, they came to the school and and they did a prank and they got the video or the classroom well they did a prank on all of you no no on my the, brother so they on your like, brother because yeah, he dived in bishop was his hero yeah he right. dived in i don't think bishop actually was officially his hero but it was the one but that's who they, they could get, get. Yeah. yeah although john they only lived around the road but yeah so bishop like, like piled in and uh i always had that lasting memory of him he's a lovely guy and he's still you know he's still like has any time for anyone you know and that's that's what i love about that no, another scouser isn't yeah. he? Another, that's, a, that's another adopted West Ham Scouser. Yeah. It's, a, it's a weird, long tradition that there's yeah. some sort of connection there must be between Scouser and West Ham. The Dockers and, you know, you know and the, the maybe sort of, it's that. Yeah, yeah, maybe, but yeah. You, you can see parallels between sort of yeah. Eastern culture, I suppose, and Scouser culture in a way. And, uh, you know, because Cresswell's another one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, Bish is great. He'll be on the channel soon. We get him on the channel soon, so it's good. Um, but yeah, no, I love Ian Bishop. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, he's, he lives in America and he just like still has this massive scouse. He's got these tattoos and he looks like a rocker. Where um, does he live? Where does he live in America, some, like Florida or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's always, he's got, he, he's, what I love about that generation, as you said, the Martin Allens, John Moncurs, Ian Bishops, they, yeah, mm. Trevor Morley's, they were just characters, yeah. weren't they? And yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd hear the stories of, you know, and obviously that was even before social media, of you know, John Moncur, you know, cutting everyone's trousers off and painting his hair white. And you yeah, they're just a bunch now. of lads. Yeah. They're a bunch of lads that everyone on the terrace is related to. Exactly, yeah. And even the way they played transmitted that. Yeah. Because what Upton Park was at its best when there was a bit of fizz and fire in the yes. stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it got like that, then we could often be the extra... Like, you know, we could be the difference between yeah, a point and true. three points, yeah. right? And we've seen that happen sometimes against, you know, the real giants. And I think it was players like that, they knew it and they knew how to almost manipulate us and whip us into that sort of frenzy, right? Yeah. In a way that, I mean, I don't want to sound xenophobic or anything, this isn't that, but I just think that, you know, Felipe Anderson... I think it's professionalism. Or Sebastian Haller. They're never going to understand that side of West Ham. And I'm not even blaming them. Why should they? They come from a completely different country. They may have grown up barely knowing about West Ham. Why why would they? We're not not one of the most famous clubs uh, abroad. You know, not really. Right? And, you know, they don't know what it was like at Upton Park either. But Ian Bishop or, or John Moncur or any of those other players you mentioned... They would know that if there was a 50-50 ball and the performance had been a bit flat and the atmosphere in the stadium was a bit flat, it might even be worth them getting a yellow card because they knew that everyone would get up and it would basically motivate the whole stadium into action, which in turn would feed back to the team. And then it would start going round in a circle. And that is how it worked at West Ham. And those players seem to be conductors of it. We needed players like that who just... We're in tune with the crowd, you know. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, John John Moncur would always get the first yellow card, even if he was on the yeah. bench. You know, I remember like him like pulling down the shorts of a linesman when he was like a sub, and he was like, mm-hmm. "Stuff you can't yeah. get away with that now." Yeah, yeah. Like, it was mad absolutely man. brilliant. But yeah, he said absolutely madman. But it's I think he's a, I think it's more almost like a professionalism. You know, not they weren't professional. It's not saying they're not weren't professionals there, but it's sport is now at this uber level of professionalism. So it's almost like they can't show any personality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's all about the performance. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. about their condition. Yeah, it's like when you see, te- it's like tennis tennis players, isn't it? You see tennis players yeah. who've who always been quite dull because mm. they're machines, right? And I think ultimately, at an elite level, you do have to, you have to leave everything else to yeah. the side. Right. You know, and your personality and everything else, it's not relevant. You just yeah. are a, 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 you're a performance machine. You know, and that's how it is in elite sport now. But back then it wasn't elite. No. So perhaps the actual technique we saw wasn't ever as good, but the fun was much better. 
exactly yeah and, and you know i think you're right i think with you know and also you're saying about you know people like alvin martin and this leadership that's another trait i mm. think you don't see very often occasionally yeah. you'll get a player who's you know you don't i mean john terry was probably the last leading player you yeah know, that we that, that yeah. england had yeah, or, you know, but you don't get that level of sort of leadership and it's a very unusual trait it, that comes through but anyway um who should we go up front then sam who's your first striker so let's start with paolo de Canio. yep um obviously you know what what can be said about and as i mean said he was another player that i used to say oh he cared more than the fans i i've reviewed that now a bit i watched back some <laughs> old games with paolo and he didn't have to play for himself do you know what i mean he did play for himself it was all about him right so he was flawed in many ways i used to think the passion and the shouting and the screaming and the going mad at the ref or walking off the pitch i thought that's because he cares so much about west ham yeah but part of me thinks no, he cared about Paolo Di Canio. And if things weren't going right for him, then he would get furious sort of thing. Yeah. That said, I do think he had an amazing connection with the fans. Yeah. We loved him. He loved us. I met him as well on TalkSport. And it's one of my most prized ever photos. Sure. I've never been shy. I've never been cool <laughs> about having a photo taken with a hero or a celebrity. Mm. Never been one of those guys. He's thought, oh, it's a bit uncool. It makes me look a bit of a fanboy. And I'm working with them. So I want to act like... Fuck that. I'm just yeah. like, let's get a photo, mate. I love you. And so I did that with Dicanio. I got on well with him. But yeah, I can't. I've lost count of the amount of golden moments. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't there that day for the legendary goal against Wimbledon. Oh, funny. Which is a real shame because I used to go to all the games in that era and I can't even remember the excuse because I wasn't abroad. <laughs> I remember hearing it on the radio and saying, oh, we've just seen the best goal ever. And then, you know, shit, why didn't I go? Yeah. So I have to admit to that. But I was, if, if I have to pick a, 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 a probably a greatest moment, it was at Stamford Bridge, maybe in about 2003, mm. possibly 2004. And I think uh, Zola had scored a goal yeah. for them. We beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Zola had scored a, a, a worldie for Chelsea. And Decanio sort of looked in. It was a case of hold my beer. Yeah, because yeah, he yeah. thought, yeah, all right. You've got a good Italian, but I'm going to show you how to do better. And he he did that that goal where he sort of juggled the ball, yeah, and then volleyed it in. And to be at Stamford, winning at Stamford Bridge is one of the best feelings you can have. Yeah, it's one of the totally. best feelings. Well, when West Ham turn up at Stamford Bridge, it's always really good fun. Yeah, uh, whether we win or lose, as it happens, it sort of seems to be an away ground where West Ham fans really always have a great day out, right? Yeah, but if you out. If you've bloody beaten them as well and Deep you've won enough. it with your star man scoring a world-class yeah. like piss-take of a goal. And that, to me, just encapsulates all the things that were wonderful about Paolo Di Canio. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think... I can't That's come up in conversation before that Chelsea game. And I think Ranieri in the press conference afterwards basically said, there's no point, let's talk about Paolo Di Canio or something like that. You know, it was like, it didn't yeah. take any, because they'd lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we've had some funny stories about that goal and people have missed it. I think Ian Dow was stuck in the Blackwell Tunnel. Um, right. When that guy, I think Benji Lanyardo, his dad had his back to the, back to the game. No one saw it. So many people missed it. I, I'm, I'm, you know, people ask about that goal a lot. Go, oh yeah, you must remember. You must have been there. And sometimes I'm embarrassed to say no because no. I think yeah. it wasn't even an era where I can say I wasn't getting to West Ham. Yeah. I was going to every game. And that day, I remember being with my girlfriend, like out doing something that just wasn't important. So I can't yeah. remember what inspired me well, to not Also, it was like West Ham Wimbledon, you know, it was, it was like West Ham Wimbledon. It wasn't yeah. like a glamour. So if you could, yeah, if you exactly. was looking at, you could probably miss that one thinking, yeah, it's going to, might, might scrape a win, but yeah. I have to say, I look at it and it's not my favourite goal anyway, West Ham. There's, there's no. other goals that to me had a bigger impact, but Trevor Sinclair's pass to me exactly. yeah. is actually not spoken about enough. I think that's the best bit of the goal. Yeah, I think that Decanio, yeah, it's good. He jumps and does a scissors kick. It's a bit of a Decanio flourish. I think he could have kicked it in another way and still scored. But yeah. he sort of did a, a little bit of fancy dannery. Fine. Yeah. But Trevor Sinclair's goal, uh, pass, what a pass. Yeah. And people should talk about that just as much. Yeah. And it was, I think it was Freddie Canute's debut as well. If I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, yeah. So he, he got overshadowed. So he was good. Yeah, he played well. Yeah, he played well. Okay, who's going to play? Who's going to partner with Paolo up front? 
Well, it's got to go back to pretty much my all-time hero, Tony Cotty. Yeah. Because, you know, it's always your first love, isn't it? And I've had lots of different heroes. And if people ask me, I used Julian Dix is my favourite West Ham player. But Tony Cotty, when I first fell hook, line and sinker for West Ham, I already supported them. And, you know, yeah. I love people like Paul Allen and Trevor Brookham when I was a little boy. But when I my first game was in 1984 against Newcastle. And Cotty played in that game. And on the way to the ground, that's what I was excited about. I just wanted to see Tony Cotty. I couldn't believe I was going to be in the same space as Tony Cotty, a guy who I'd seen pictures of in the newspaper and I'd seen on TV, but I was actually going to be able to see him in the flesh. Yeah. It blew my mind. And I think as a kid, it just goes back to that thing. He seemed like a kid. He's this like yeah, yeah, yeah. blonde-haired, 17-year-old kid who's got the chance to play for the club he supports mm. and then becomes their star striker. And I just loved it. And, you know, so throughout primary school, I loved Tony Cotty. And then I remember at secondary school, I even had pictures like, you know, you have to cover your own books. Yeah, 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 books yeah. Pictures of Tony Cotty. And when he left to Everton, I was sort of gutted. But at the same time, I was, pr- I was gutted as a West Ham fan. But I had such a connection with Tony Cotty. I was proud that yeah, Tony yeah, Cotty yeah. had gone on to a yeah. club who at the time were a big club who were yeah. challenging for the title. And I think he became briefly the most expensive player in British yeah, football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, and then when he came back, which I always deep down knew he would, I was delighted again and he was brilliant again. And yeah. so, you know, Tony Cotty is just the, the, the guy who helped me fall in love with West Ham. Yeah. I mean, he didn't score that many classics, really, did he? He was a no. right poacher, Tony Cotty. Fox in the box, but yeah. who, who cares? I mean. Exactly. Exactly, and the impact he made. Man. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and he's still like you know, obviously loves the club, and you know, yeah. and, and and again, you know, even you know, even you know, obviously he was at you know Everton and Leicester, but you still mm. know he's a West Ham, he's a West Ham boy, isn't it? And it's like, doesn't matter yeah. what happened, he was a still West Ham boy, and that yeah, sort, yeah, and yeah. that frames up the team nice because you've got like the the poacher, you've got sort of the the fox in the box, haven't you? So you know, Paolo will be Paolo, wouldn't necessarily be a, a target man or anything, but. Uh, mm. Him and Pyatt. Him and Pyatt in the same team. Oh. I mean, yeah, it would be it would be difficult for the opposition to handle. And I like to think that there'd be enough like steel in Bishop and Noble. Yeah. You know, who who could sit deep, spray the ball from the back, nice. but you know, be there as a nice shield in front of in front of the defence. I, I reckon this this team is is interesting though. If you were if you were to pick the best team, yeah. like the yeah, team the, that, yeah. you know, you would probably have considered a lot of those lads who came through Tony Carr's academy. Yes. Like yeah, Frank and Rio and Joe Cole and Michael Carrick. Yeah. Um, and you'd also have thought more about having Alan Devonshire in there and yeah. stuff like that. But, but um, for this me, I just 11. preferred, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is my favourite 11. Brilliant. And That's I think exactly. I'll be turning it over again and again and again in my head forever. <laughs> but I think I've done all right. No, I think I've chosen one that I can live great with. Team. Yeah. And as I said, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's your 11. And yeah. And that's the thing. These guys meant something to you. And clearly each one had an impact. Mm. And that's, and that's what it, and that's yeah. what it's all about for. It is an entertainment in you know, a game. And yeah, it's a sport, but we yeah. pay to get insane. As you said, at West Ham fans, we don't necessarily like, well, as you say that, we might, we might like a mid-table, you know, mid-table obscurity season. Yeah. But, but there'll always be something. Yeah, there'll always be something. Yeah. And, mm. uh, and so, you know, but, you know, as Tony Gale was saying, you know, during his, his time, there was never a dull season. We might be mid-table, that we, but we'd have a cup run. Or mm. we'd be teaching at relegation. And, you know, there's always something going on. That's not West Ham. Yeah. Like, we like players where there's, I mean, something's going on. You don't know what's going to happen. It could be yeah, a quiet yeah. turn. It could be a Decanio strop. Yeah, exactly. And th- there has been the odd season yeah. where we have accidentally fallen into uh, a, a mid-table team, mm. right? And... I can live without them. I mean, to be honest, I look at the Kerbishley era. Kerbishley, good guy. But we, you know, for a brief period, we had quite a lot of money and we went out and bought some really big name players mm. and really like rolled the dice. But it really it got us as far as finishing mid-table. And that era, there were some great players like Craig Bellamy or, or what have you, but you just don't really remember it. No. The Red Nap years, some people... 
uh, don't like Harry Redknapp. I love them. They was my favourite favourite yeah, period. The two, the two periods that are probably happiest for me were most of Harry Redknapp's era and most of Alan Pardew's era. Yeah, yeah, and I think both sure. those managers had quite a lot in common in that they were big characters, you know, and they sort of generated an atmosphere around the club of non-stop excitement and, you know, and dreaming. And they weren't pragmatic. And, you know, you look at Pellegrini, <clears throat> I can see why the club hired him, but you just think he's not a West Ham sort of a bloke. No. He's understated. No. We don't want that. No. Do you know what I mean? We don't want understated. We want, you know, an Alan Pardew, big time Charlie, walking up in a bloody Ferrari or having, having a, a fight, fight with Arsene Wenger. Or Harry Redknapp just being bananas and making all these mad sign-ins and, yeah. you know, always going at it against the bigger teams and thinking the most important thing, no matter what, even if we're in a relegation scrap and a point would be a great result, I want us to go out and try and beat them 3-0. Yeah. That's West Ham. That's the sort of manager we should always look for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. As you said, we that it's that it's that sort of passion on the side of the yeah. side of the touchline, isn't it? I don't. We didn't yeah. really get that with Pellegrini, um, and I think nah. we, we, we've more as we get it with Nolan. You can see Nolan really has like yeah, this, yeah, and he's really get seems to have galvanised. Great, great brilliant. appointment, Nolan, brilliant. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he was probably after no. He was one of one of our greatest in my lifetime as a captain. He was like he yeah. embodied. He was a captain. superb captain. Yeah, yeah. really smart. Shrewd signing, really, wasn't it? It was. Although, you know, come come Christmas, you know, he'd he'd get a yellow and get be suspended over yeah. Christmas. But yeah. I, I respect him for that as well. Yeah, mate. no, I do as well. Yeah. I totally. He was I, I, I want to be with my family at Christmas too, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Done, done. Sam, yeah. it's been absolutely brilliant. A bit longer than our usual half hour, but I don't care. Cause it's been great. I absolutely love chatting right. to you. And uh, right. and obviously, thank you to everyone else for for watching. Obviously, share, like, subscribe. You know what to do. And until next time, guys, stay safe and take care, everyone. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.